Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at MyBookie. I don't know about you guys, but I had a ton of fun this past weekend watching all the March Madness action, watching Purdue get upset, being the second number one seed ever to lose to a 16 seed, watching Princeton take down Arizona, and then also knock out Missouri in the second round in route to a sweet 16 appearance. A ton of great stuff. But what made it even sweeter for me was the fact that I was able to cash in on all that action with our guys at my bookie, I'm up 10 units over the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, and I couldn't have done it without my bookie and all the incredible betting options they give us. So make sure to jump in on the action today, guys. Go to mybookie.ag. If you're a brand new user, when you sign up for an account, use that promo code UGA, and whatever you deposit with that initial deposit, they will match it 100% up to $1,000. So make sure, guys, you've seen all these teams in action over the first weekend of the tournament. Now it's time to use that knowledge to pad that wallet with mybookie. All right, guys, I'm Tyler, and joining me today to recap what we learned from week one of Georgia's 2023 spring football practice is my co-host, Curtis. In week one, guys, it's it's always weird and it's tough to read too much into it because week one basically constitutes what the NCAA terms the acclimation period. The dogs did not actually get to put on full pads until Saturday, so keep that in mind as we kind of roll through today's episode. But saying that, it doesn't mean that we didn't learn anything about the 2023 team coming out of week one of spring practice. There was still plenty of information to glean from the week that was, and we're going to dive into all of that on today's episode. So again, with the acclimation period in effect in week one, most of what we learned this week came out of Kirby Smart's opening press conference of the spring, which he held on Tuesday. So, Curtis, I want to start there, man. And in his opening statement of that press conference, Kirby updated us on the team's injury situation heading into the spring. So, according to Kirby Smart, we have no Dan Jackson, no Andrew Paul, no Marvin Jones Jr., and no Jalen Walker this spring. And I know it's only spring, Curtis. So, the the word concern is a bit strong here. So I will ask you this in a different way. Which one of those injuries is the biggest blow this spring? 
I'm going to go with Andrew Paul. And the reason I go with him is come spring now, you're seeing a lot of these guys, especially when you're looking at Jalen Walker and Marvin Jones Jr. I mean, you can concern me. Those can concern you in the fact that maybe it hurts that they're not getting the, the practice time. But almost all these guys outside of Andrew Paul have been in the program long enough where even the freshmen in Marvin Jones Jr. and Jalen Walker, they've got, you know, an extra month of practice from going to the college football playoffs. And um, so that's why I go with Andrew Paul is just because he's the one person that has missed a lot. I don't think he was not an early enrollee tears his ACL and then he's been out and just really hasn't been able to get a lot of practice time. So I mean, fall, when fall camps comes around, you hope he'll be, you know, really starting to turn it up and go a lot and be doing a lot more. But the fact is he's still going to be rusty compared to the others who have gotten a lot more practice time. Yeah, that's fair, Curtis. Uh, Andrew Paul's a guy. It's a shame, man. It's a shame because he was Especially a guy. Because, I mean, you look at like how, you know, we're not thin at running back, but I think he's has a skill set that maybe we don't really have right now. Yeah, that's that's the thing, Curtis. Like, we don't really know. I, I think you're right. I think you're right in that he could be one of those total package type guys, a guy that can run, run the ball effectively between the tackles, also be a, a threat out of the backfield. But it's hard for us to say that definitively at this point, outside of, I guess, basing it off his high school film, which there's something you can take from that. But we haven't seen this guy, at least the average fan at the college level. Coaches saw him, and that's the thing, Curtis. That's why I think it's, it's a shame that he's still dealing with the injury, which I, I, I honestly expected him to be out for the spring, to be honest with you. But it's a shame because this is a guy going back to last fall. If you guys remember, he was making some waves. Like he was impressing the coaches. He was earning himself a spot in that rotation. And I don't know how, how many carries he would have gotten last year. You have to imagine Kenny McIntosh obviously would have been our number one back, our lead guy. Kendall Milton, if he would have been healthy, would have gotten a lot of carries as well. And Dajan would have been there as well. But he might, it's hard to say for sure, Curtis. But read between the lines last fall, he was ahead of Branson Robinson in fall camp. And then he tears the ACL late in camp, and then he's out of the picture, obviously. So it's a shame that he's still dealing with this, but that's kind of how ACLs go. I, I totally get where you're coming from, Curtis. I'll just say my expectations for Andrew Paul this season are for him just to get healthy. I don't really – I don't have any high expectations for him to be a major contributor this year. And maybe I'm wrong on that. I really do hope that I'm wrong. But when guys are coming off their, their, their ACL injuries, like the first year back, especially the running back position. I'm not saying he can't be effective, but typically you're not as effective that first year back. Usually it's once you get like a year and a half, two years removed, then you're back to who you were before. I'll use Nick Chubb as an example. Of course, he came back in 2016. We know this. And Nick Chubb was effective for us in Kirby Smart's first season at Georgia, but he certainly was not the Nick Chubb that we saw before or two years removed from the injury. So I, I, I don't know what my expectations were for Andrew Paul coming to this year. So while it certainly has concerned me that he's out for spring, you want to see that development. I don't know if it concerns me as much as the injuries to both Marvin Jones Jr. and Jalen Walker. And I, I, I'm going to go with those two, Curtis, because especially Marvin Jones Jr., we are extraordinarily thin at the Jack linebacker position, Curtis. That is probably the thinnest position, at least in terms of experience, and in upperclassmen, we don't have a ton of that, Curly. Like we have the only guy with any meaningful experience at Jack is Chaz Chambliss, Curtis. I mean, Chaz, we're in a position where Chaz Chambliss is the, the elder statesman of the edge player position, of that Jack position for us. We have a ton of young guys. Marvin Jones Jr. wasn't a factor in that conversation. He couldn't really get on the field much last year after the Nolan Smith injury because he was also dealing with his own injuries. And here he is. He had, and we knew this, Curtis. Like we knew he had offseason shoulder surgery. So, we knew that he was not going to be playing this spring. 
But the other one, Jalen Walker, Curtis, this is the one that kind of took me by surprise. I did not know that Jalen Walker had recently had offseason shoulder surgery. I was not aware of that. And I had high hopes for Jalen Walker to maybe factor into that edge player, that Jack linebacker position this season. And the thing with Jalen Curtis is like, he's kind of a tweener, right? Like he came in as an inside linebacker. He can certainly still play there, but he got most of his playing time rushing off the edge in our third down package. And that dime package last season, about half of the season, he took over that spot from Zayvon Sori. So I think he's the guy, if he can bulk up a little bit and add some weight, as we mentioned on the show before, I think he could really factor in with his athleticism at that edge rushing position. He showed me the ability to rush off the edge last year. So I was hopeful that this, this spring we would maybe potentially say, all right, Jalen, we're going to, we're going to give you some run at, at edge at outside linebacker, Jack, whatever you want to call it. And I was hopeful that he would be able to use this spring as a developmental period to kind of serve as a springboard into the fall and into the 2023 season eventually, because let's be real. I mean, he's, was an inside linebacker. That's not a natural position for him. So he needs that developmental time, him not being out there. That does concern me to a degree. Cause I think he's a guy that can be a big time player for us at that position, rushing the passer, but he needs development. He needs reps and he's going to miss all of those reps in the spring. Same thing for Marvin Jones jr. I just, I guess I kind of conditioned myself or I had uh, adapted to the idea that he was not going to be playing this spring as I knew that he had the shoulder surgery. So the Jalen Walker, injury information that kind of took me by surprise and kind of hit me a little bit there. It's like, all right, man, this, that's a, it's a little bit of a blow when we have so much experience in that position. Honestly, Curtis, if he's going to play outside linebacker, which I guess that technically remains to be seen, he and Chaz Chambers are the ones with the most experience in that room. So for him to not be there, that's a, it's a little bit of a blow. I guess it's more opportunities for other players, but it's certainly uh it certainly does not help. All right, Curtis, let's move on here, man. And let's get to, um to some position battles here. Obviously, out of all the position battles on the team, and there are many, we're replacing a lot of key players, but that's how college football works. But the one that has the attention of every fan, even the most casual of Georgia fans, of course, is the quarterback battle. We've got Carson Beck as a redshirt junior. We've got Brock Vangriff as a redshirt sophomore. And we've got Gunnar Stockton as a sophomore. And we know Carson Beck served as a primary backup to Stetson Bennett, Heisman Trophy finalist Stetson Bennett, mind you. But as we maintain, Curtis, I think you're still with me on this, it's going to be a real battle. In that opening press conference on Tuesday, Kirby Smart revealed that both Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift would open the spring repping with the number one offense. So, Curtis, how much does that surprise you, if at all? It actually really doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I, I think Gunnar Stockton is going to be in the, in the thick of everything as the whole competition continues. I don't think he's, you know, out of it. But realistically, Beck and Vandergrift are the guys who have been in the system longer. You know, quote unquote, they're probably the ones with the leg up rep wise. So it makes sense that you're, you're, it's hard to get three guys, number one reps. So if you're going to split them, it makes sense to split the number one reps between Beck and Vandergriff. 100% there, Curtis. Like, here's the thing. you Even if Carson Beck was the primary backup last year, which obviously he was, in no world do you go into the spring giving him 100% of the reps of the quarterback position. That's just – that's not how that works. And the spring is the time for your backup quarterback – to get those reps of the ones. So they even especially if there's a competition, which there is right here, and it's a time for the backup quarterback to to kind of get some sort of rapport 
with the first unit offense to get some of that experience. You can't really do that much during the season. Spring is the time for that. That's when you're working on yourself. That's when development happens. A little bit in fall camp, the first two weeks of fall camp or so, and before you kind of ramp up working towards the season. But spring is the prime time in the entire college ball calendar for you to work on you and for guys to develop and get those reps. So it was never going to be Carson Beck getting all the reps of the ones, or even 90 plus percent of the reps of the ones like he would if it was during the season, if he was a starting quarterback, because that's just not how this works. You need time for all these guys to develop. They're never going to get better if they don't have those reps. So I'm not surprised by that, that Carson and Brocker vote both repping with the ones that was going to happen all along. And you're exactly right, Curtis. I've, I've, I've heard some people say, well, does this, I guess this means Gunnar Stockton's out of the equation. Like, wh- why isn't he getting reps of the ones? But you're right, Curtis. Like, yes, you want all these guys to get as many reps as possible, but you it's really difficult to be splitting the, the number one reps or the reps with the number one offense three different ways. Because if you do that, then nobody is really getting enough reps with the one offense. So I'm with you, Curtis. I'm 100% in agreement that I, I am not surprised by that. I do have a little spring buzz for you, Curtis. So a couple of sources around the program told me that Rob Vinegar did have a really good first week of practice. And not that Carson Beck didn't. Carson's been really solid. Carson has been solid for a couple of years now. He's put himself in this position to, I, I still believe, to be the front runner heading into the 2023 season. Someone's going to have to actually unseat him, take that job from him. But Brock did have a really good first week of practice, Curtis. So how legitimate of a threat is Brock Vandegriff in your mind to take this job from Carson Beck? I think Brock is a legitimate – it is a legitimate competition. I mean, the fact is, as good as Beck is, there are certain things that Vandegriff just does better. I mean, you know, Beck is more athletic than people want to give him credit for, but he does not have the athletic ability of Brock Vandegrift. Brock Vandegrift has a very strong arm also. So there's not as much separating them without the athleticism, but throwing the athleticism, it, it, I mean, Brock Vandegrift is a legitimate challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's physically, I do think that Brock Vandegrift is a better physical prospect. Does that make sense, Curtis, in terms of athleticism? his ability to do some stuff in the run game. I, I don't know if he has a stronger arm. Kirby was asked this question in, in the opening press conference and he kind of punted on it. And it was essentially like, I think they both have really strong arms. Like, I mean, I'm out there every day and I really can't tell who has a stronger arm. They both would tell you they have the strongest arm, but I, I don't know. I don't know if Brock, I don't know if he has a stronger arm. And if he does, I don't think it's by much, but here's where Carson has the edge. Carson has been in this system a year longer, right? He's a he's going to his fourth year curse. Carson has been around for a long time. Most quarterbacks at this point would have transferred out. Honestly, it's very rare to have a backup quarterback, especially one that was as highly recruited as Carson Beck was. It's very rare to have a guy like that stick around the program for three years and sit on the bench and try to get that job going into his fourth year on campus. So we're very fortunate to have a guy that has stuck around. That is a rarity in college football these days. So he certainly has the edge there. And it's tough to say from, you know, again, an arm string standpoint, and it, it, we really don't know what we have in Brian Vandergriff from a passing standpoint. Again, I can go back and tell you what we had in him from, from his high school days, but how he needed some development throwing the football coming out of high school. Uh, the motion, a little bit of a development. I think accuracy down the field needed a little bit more consistency and development there. We don't know because we haven't really seen Brock Vandegrift throw the ball with any sort of consistency at the college level. We just haven't seen him get really many opportunities at all to do that. We haven't seen a ton from Carson Beck. We've certainly seen more from him. And I don't know about you guys, but I was impressed with what I saw from Carson Beck when he got opportunities last season. I know that was in garbage time. 
And so you have to take it with a grain of salt, but I thought he did a really good job of managing the offense, working under control. I thought he did a really good job of going through his reads and, and putting the ball where it needed to be. I thought he did a lot of really, really good things, made a bunch of different types of throws. So I was really impressed with what I saw with, from Carson Beck. We, and I'm not, and that's not to say that Brock can't do those things. All I'm saying is I've seen Carson do more of those things than I have from Brock Vandegrift. But that's what this brings us for. It's for the coaches to get eyes on all these guys and to see how far they've come and see how they stack up. But I do think that Brock Vandegrift is a very legitimate threat to win this job. And I go back to what I said coming into the spring. I think the one thing that he has that can separate him from Carson Beck is the athleticism. And this is not a shot, as you were saying, Curtis, this is not a shot at Carson Beck saying that he's a statue back there. Like he's not Matt Ryan where he can't move around. That's not what Carson Beck is. Carson Beck's a really good athlete. He was a really good high school baseball player for a long time. He was late to the quarterback position, actually, at, at, high, at the high school level. He was a big-time baseball player. So he can move. He just doesn't move as well as Brock Vinegrave. And you're not going to run a very – I don't want to say you're not going to run any design QB stuff with him at all, period, but you're certainly not going to run nearly as much design QB run game with Carson Beck as you would Brock Vinegar. Brock Vinegar is a is a tough physical dude, as is Gunnar Stockton, and you can do some quarterback power type stuff with them that you can't really do with Carson Beck. So I will maintain if Brock Vinegar can make enough strides in the passing game and doing all the, the things that a quarterback has to do from a mental standpoint, understanding coverages, going through your progressions, all of those types of things, I do think his legs give him a legitimate opportunity to, to win this job and, and give us something that Carson Beck just simply cannot do. The way I would look at it, Curtis, is if, if Brock Vandegrift can really take a step forward in the passing game and understand the offense and, and being able to operate our offense, there are there is something that he can do that Carson Beck cannot. And if he does catch up with Carson from a from a knowledge of the system standpoint and going through coverages and progressions and all that, then this thing could get really interesting. Now, I, saying that, I still believe that Carson Beck is ahead of Brock Vinegrift right now. But that's what the spring is for. So what the spring and the offseason is for is for Brock and to, I guess, a lesser degree, Gunnar Stockton to try to take those strides to catch up with, with Carson, where Carson has the advantage currently right now in this quarterback competition. So I think it's a very legitimate threat. I just, right now, I still, until I hear more, until I hear more consistently about Brock, I'm still going to stick with Carson Beck as the quarterback that I am projecting to win this battle. And honestly, guys, I have a lot of faith in Carson Beck. I think this guy could have a big-time 2023 season that could potentially position him to be a pretty high draft pick in the 2024 NFL draft. But time will tell. Uh, real quickly, you mentioned Gunnar Stockton. Kirby was also quick to point out that Gunnar Stockton absolutely should not be discounted in this battle. He's not getting reps to the ones. We know this, at least not right now. So, Curtis, do you give him any chance to win this competition? And if you do, how much of a chance? I think he does have a chance. I would say maybe a 20% chance. I mean, realistically, I think it's Carson Beck's job to lose. And if anyone's really going to press him, I think right now it is Brock Vandegar. But you can never count out um, Gunnar Stockton because I think what people don't realize, yes, he wasn't repping with the ones and the twos. But sometimes at um, scout team practice, is more valuable than what people want to give you credit for. Now, the reason I say that is the fact of he's going against the number one defense when he's getting all these reps. So he's seeing going against the the quickest guys that we have out there. So the speed of the game is very quick. And I think it's a great way to learn and to develop. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, Curtis. Like it's a, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You're getting more reps when you work the scout team at the quarterback position. Like he got more reps playing quarterback during the season than Brock Vandegrift did. The problem for Gunner is, and here's why it's a catch twenty two: is yes, you got more reps, but it's not reps running our offense. You are running the the weekly opponent's offense. So I think there's something you can take away from that and just, like you said, going against the number one, the number one defense, one of the best defenses in college football and just learning how to go through coverages and, and all those things and, and learning the speed of the game and be able to where you can fit balls into tight windows and where you can and just get out there and throw in the football and just building reports on the receivers that maybe you'll be working with in the future. I do think that certainly helps his development. And I do know Kirby was very clear, has been clear multiple times in press conferences that Gunnar Stockton was impressive working the scout team. And I do think that gives him a chance here. I do think he's a, he's certainly number three in the competition. I mean, which is Kirby made clear that given that he's not working with the number one offense right now, but as Kirby said, I I'm not going to discount Gunnar Stockton. Um, he's going to have to make a lot of progress during the, during the spring. And I, I will go ahead and say this, Curtis. I don't know if you're with me on this. I don't think there will be any quarterback named the starter after G day, right? Are you with me there? I think you were with me earlier in the offseason. Are you yeah, still with absolutely? Me on because I mean, it's just dumb in the fact that you could be hit by the transfer portal in doing something like that. Yeah, that that's. I just don't see any scenario where that happens. I mean, in an ideal world, like without the transfer portal, you'd love to have your guy named, and so the the team can kind of coalesce around that guy, and he can kind of take the bull by the horns in the offseason and lead the team through workouts and head to fall camp, and boom, you're ready to go. But with the transfer portal now, guys can transfer out. They know they haven't won the job, and that leaves you very, very low on debt at, at the most critical position on the on the team. So I, I don't anticipate anyone being named the starter. We might have an idea of who that starter is going to be. We might have a leader, which which is certainly a, a realistic possibility. But I don't think I, – I just don't imagine a world where Kirby Smart's going to say after G-Day in that press conference saying, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, we're gonna we're just going to go ahead and announce it that uh, that Carson Beck or Brock Vinegriff is going to be the guy going to the season. I don't think that's going to happen. So if Gunner can make some strides this spring, which I believe that he will. Everything I, I know about Gunner Stockton is that this kid is one of those grinders that's going to put his head down and go to work. He's a little bit behind right now from a developmental standpoint because he's been in the system the least amount of time compared with the other two quarterbacks in this competition. But if he can, can make some progress this spring and carry that momentum into the summer months, all the summer workouts, and and really kind of carry that into fall camp, maybe he's got a shot. I, I think it's a, a, certainly an outside shot. But um, this guy's a he's he's a winner. He's a competitor, and like Kirby said, like you can't completely count him out of this battle because he he's a talent. And Kirby, like like Brock Vandegrift, he does give you that mobility from the quarterback position in a way that Carson Beck does not. So I, I think that that gives him an opportunity. I just I think he's so far behind now in terms of just understanding the system and being in the system and actually repping with the system that I wouldn't count him as as a likely option. But I also wouldn't completely count him out. Just put it out there. And we're just getting warmed up here today, guys. We've got plenty left to cover today. But before we move any further, let me once again remind you about our very good friends at my bookie. You guys know you watched it all last weekend. March Madness is here, man. It has officially begun. We are all the way in the Sweet 16 now. And it's still not too late for you guys to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. Whether you're filling out multiple brackets, whether now you have a kind of a feel for who the, like the legitimate national championship contenders are, maybe you want to go ahead and put a future bet down on that national title pick if you want to go ahead and stake your claim on that, or maybe you're just looking to have a little fun with those player and game props, whatever you're looking for, my bookie's got you guys covered, and it's so simple, guys. All you have to do if you're a brand new user is go to mybookie.ag. 
Visit the website online, make that first deposit. And when you do, use the promo code UGA when you sign up for a new account. That is our exclusive promo that's going to give you an exclusive 100% deposit bonus for all new users up to $1,000. You're just not going to beat that deal, guys. So go ahead. Just got plenty of time to make some money this March. Again, that's promo code UGA at mybookie.ag to claim some extra money on top of that initial deposit. So with hundreds of thousands in prizes for March Madness and of course their weekly blackjack tournaments, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. So do it guys, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, Chris, let's move on to another position here. Let's talk about offensive tackle. Obviously we are losing both of our starting offensive tackles from the 2022 season, losing Broderick Jones at left tackle and Warman Clinton at right tackle. Are you going to go ahead and pencil in Amarius Mims at one of those two tackle spots, Curtis? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I would be very shocked if he weren't. I would be stunned, like blackout stunned, if Amarius Mims did not win one of those jobs. Do you have any any um, lean, whether it's going to be right tackle or left tackle for Mims? You know, I really don't because, I mean, right now I'm under the belief, you may get to this question next, but that um, Ernest Green is going to be the next guy or the other tackle opposite Amarius Mims, but I just don't know at what position we're going to see either. Yeah, my guess here, Curtis, and there's plenty of time. I mean, the coaches don't even really know this right now. We're trying to find out the best mix, the best five, and, and how they fit together. But my guess would be that Marius Mims would end up playing right tackle because that's where he played last year. You know, he was in the rotation with Roger Jones and Warren McClendon, but he was primarily playing right tackle when he came in. When Warren McClendon was hurt in the playoffs, Marius Mims was playing right tackle. I think that's his comfort level. I think Marius Mims absolutely could play left tackle. I have zero doubts about that. I think he has that type of athleticism. But I think right tackle, based on him playing that last year, is where at least I think he will start off the spring. In fact, sources are telling me that, yes, Marius Mims did open the spring at right tackle. And you allude to it, Curtis. Ernest Green, at least through week one, was working with the number one offense at left tackle. But Kirby Smart named a couple of other guys that uh, are factoring this competition as well. One was somewhat surprising to me because I think I see him as the heir apparent at center. But Austin Blasky, Curtis, uh, was a guy that Kirby Smart identified in that opening spring press conference as a guy that's working out at, at tackle. Monroe Freeling, a five-star a true freshman who is an early enrollee working here in the spring. And then Chad Lindbergh is a veteran who's been around for a while, hasn't really played much, but he's been around in the system for a while. So Ernest Green, Austin Blasky, Monroe Freeling, Chad Lindbergh, you kind of alluded to this, Curtis, but I'll go ahead and throw it to you anyway. How do you handicap that battle for the second offensive tackle position? Um, you know, I, I like I said, I, I still think it'll be Ernest Green. I think Blasky, kind of like you said, is very surprised to hear that one uh, more than anything um, because we were all thought – I mean, he still probably is heir apparent to center, but it's very surprising when you think of someone going from uh, – um, repping at center to all of a sudden repping left tackle. I mean, that that's a big change. Yeah, usually if you play center, you're an interior lineman. You play center or you play guard. Like You don't play center and tackle. That's very rare. Yeah, if you're cross-training, it's not a tackle. Yeah, it's it's not you, – you, that's the very rare combination, center-tackle. It's usually center-guard. So I was somewhat surprised by that, but I do know the coaches like Blasky. I know that he's got a firm spot on the second team, and he has been for a, a year or so now. But I was somewhat surprised to see that at tackle – um, Monroe Freeling, Curtis, this guy's a really intriguing prospect to me. So he's a big-time athlete at the at the left tackle position, and he can play right tackle. Any of these guys can play left or right, I think. Uh, I, well, Blasky, I, mm, 
I guess he could play left tackle. I mean, he's got that wrestling background. He's got that athleticism. But Freeling is like a prototype left tackle. I think he, at least come out of high school, he needed to add some weight to his frame. He's got a fantastic frame, a long, lanky frame, but he can add some weight to that. So I, I never expected him to be the guy to win the job this season because I think he just needs a year in the weight room to fill out a little bit and just get stronger, be able to hold up in the trenches. But he's also a great talent because he's a great athlete, so I, I can't count him out of the battle. But Ernest Green is the guy I'm with you. I think he's the one. I mean, in fact, I know for you know being told by my sources around the program that Ernest Green did open the spring at left tackle and uh, Marius Mims at right tackle. So that wasn't surprising. That's what I felt was going to be the case. My only concern there was the health of Ernest Green because he's a guy that dealt with some back injuries last year, actually had back surgery in the middle of last season. And anytime you're talking about a, a back injury and like back surgery – that's scary, man. Like you just never know how that's going to go. That can be one of those things that's chronic and lingers. So I've been very concerned about that because I know that he really, really made a significant move during fall camp last season. I mean, he was our number two left tackle going in, going into the season. And then he gets the back injury started to flare up and that was the thing. And then he lost a lot of developmental time. So I just wasn't sure where he was from a developmental standpoint, missing so much time with that back injury. But that I think it goes to show you how high the coaches are on Ernest Green and just how much he impressed them last fall camp, the type of impression that he made with the fact that he missed, I would say, at least half the season with that back injury last year. And then he's back healthy, clear to go 100%, and they plug him right away into the first-team offense at left tackle. I think that tells you just how good Ernest Green is and how high the coaches are on him. So I actually, I take that as a very, very good sign, to be honest with you. So Ernest Graham, Marius Mims, I think that can be a really, really, really good one-two punch at the left and right tackle position. But out, out after Green Curse, after Mims, so we've got Green, we got Mims, who would be that next guy for you? Ooh, now that's where, you know, it's right now. It's hard to say because we haven't really seen any of these guys at the college level. It is. I, I would even maybe venture out to say Xavier Trust may be the third guy. Yeah, trust. He's worked at tackle before, so it's kind of like muscle memory. I don't think that would be an issue for him kicking out there. But he was not a guy. And, and look, Curry doesn't necessarily mention every single guy that's in involved in a competition. But he did not directly identify trust in that press conference as a guy that's working at tackle right now. But again, you're right. He he's done that before, so it's not like he can't just flip out slide out there if if need be. Uh, and maybe that is like you know one of those things where okay, well, coaches are they just want to go with like the, what's your comfort level, right? And if there was an injury, maybe you slide trust out there. I'm going to go with Austin Blasky here, Curtis, as my next guy up. I'm going to go with him. As I know, here's why. I do think he's much more of a center prospect long-term than a tackle prospect. But he was in the he was in the second unit last year, Curtis. And he's a guy that I know the coaches are very high on, talking to sources around the program. And he's a guy that is – I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to pull a – a um a Marius Mims from last year where he's like in the rotation, especially not at center. When you have Cedric Van Prant at center, there's no rotating. Cedric Van Prant is the guy at center. He's one of the biggest leaders on the entire team. You're not going to take him off the field. It's just not one of those things. But I do think if somebody went down, I think Austin Blasky might be the first guy up. I really do. I, I think he's a guy that honestly could play. If he can play tackle, then I think he could play any position on, along the offensive line. Because if, if you can play center, you should be able to play guard. Because there's this certainly more of a crossover there, typically than center and tackle, like we said. So if he can play tackle, we know he can play center, our backup center as well. I think he can play any of those positions along the offensive line, all three spots. So if there was a guy that went down, it wouldn't shock me if Blasky, wherever that position was, like whatever position it was that where a guy went down, it wouldn't shock me if Blasky was a guy that to be the first one off the bench to fill that spot. Wouldn't shock me at all. All right, Kurt, let's move on here a little bit more. Let's talk about the receiver position. We know what we have coming back in Lad McConkey. 
But outside of Ladd, we're, we're kind of light on proven options, like proven playmaking options at the receiver position, at least in a Georgia uniform. We Obviously, we have Marcus Rosemi Jackson coming back, who's done some really good things for us, but hasn't always been a dynamic pass catcher for us. Arian Smith, we know what he brings to the table, and we know what kind of a home run threat he can be, but he has to be more consistent before you can trust him to be, be a guy that's going to be a reliable option all year long. I'm certainly hopeful that's the case for Arian this year, but we'll, that still remains to be seen. But there was some buzz, Curtis, from some sources that I know around the program that Dominic Lovett, the transfer from Missouri, was making plays early and often this past week. Of course, it's only one week, but that's what you like to hear. If it's one week, you at least like to hear that. So what are your expectations for Dominic Lovett this season, Curtis? Um, I think Lovett's going to be a huge weapon for us um, as long as he stays healthy. I mean, realistically, if you think back to it, honestly, if he doesn't get hurt in the Missouri game, we lose to Missouri because we had no answer for him at all. Um, the guys, I, I don't know for, I, I don't know if I would go that far, but maybe like, I mean, he was giving us a lot of problems. He was giving he us was a lot giving of problems. Us problems and we had no answer for him. And, and he I think was that, their big play threat. You're right. He was their big play threat out wide. Uh, and so, I mean, I, that's, that's my biggest thing is I think that he's just a playmaker. I mean, they didn't have a great system outside of Luther burden who was up and down, you know, everyone knew they were going to him and he still, you know, racked up almost 700 yards. So I think in a more a system that I think can complement him more as a playmaker and athletic, um, an athlete, I think that this is, he can make some big things happen for us. Chris, he's the most productive receiver that we have on the team in terms of production, the SEC. I know it was not with Georgia last year. It was with Missouri. But I think that speaks even more for Dominic Lovett and what he can do in our system. When the guy put up 850 yards last season at Missouri with the, with the lack of talent all around that offense, he's, you're right. Yes, they, they did have uh, Luther Burden, but Luther Burden was – up and down all season. I mean, there's a point where we thought he might actually like lead the team mid season. There were some issues there. And if you're working with Brady cook at quarterback, I mean, the talent's not even comparable. The talent level between Missouri last year and Georgia in 2023, it's not even remotely comparable. So if you plug him into this offense with a better offensive line, with better running backs, with a better situation at quarterback and Oh yeah. A guy named Brock Bowers to take a lot of the attention from the opposing defense. You're telling me that Dominic Lovett can't be more productive than he was in the Missouri offense last year? And he put up 850 yards last year. And he is an explosive weapon. That's what he brings to the table. I think he gives us something that we haven't had. And look, again, I know Arian Smith can be explosive. Arian Smith is explosive. I have zero doubts about that. My concern with Arian is, can you do it consistently? And we haven't seen that. I am rooting so hard for that guy. But we just haven't seen it. We have seen Dominic Lovett do it with consistency at a program with less talent around him. So what is he going to do in this program with more talent around him? And Missouri didn't really, they don't really throw the ball more in that system offensively any more than we do. I know some people would say, well, you know, Georgia, we're just not going to throw the ball as much as they did in Missouri. I'm like, oh, that's not really true. And that's not true at all. Actually, go back and watch what Missouri does. They they really do run the football a lot. They run the outside zone as their core play. They want to work play action off of that. That's what they do at, at Missouri in that system with it, with the old Alferner with Eli Drinkwitz. So I, I think he's gonna get plenty of opportunities. He's absolutely going to play a significant role for our offense this season. Now, of course we, we know that Brock Bowers is going to be our number one pass through Like that's just how that's going to work because Brock is a freaking monster. He's not a human being. And Lad McConkey is an awesome player. He's the most reliable player that we have on the team, or at least at the receiver position. And he's not going anywhere. He's going to be a major factor in this offense as well. But outside of those two guys, I do not think it's a stretch Curtis to say coming into the season, Dominic Lovett 
is going to be the next best option at the as as a pass catcher in this offense. And it also wouldn't shock me to see Lovett overtake Ladd as that number one threat at the receiver position. Position, Kerber, that would be a crazy thing to say. No, not at all. I mean, he's very similar to Ladd, but I think he's actually more athletic. Um, I think they're realistic. He's more explosive think, than Ladd. Ladd is yeah, explosive. More explosive. But he's not I think that's, level I think that's a better better answer. I think he is more explosive. That's gonna be what separates the two. Yeah, he, I, Ladd might have. I don't know. Maybe maybe Ladd has a little bit more versatility. I don't know. I don't even know if I would go that far. But in terms of explosive playmaking ability, Ladd has made some explosive plays for us. He is an explosive player, but he's not Dominic Lovett level explosive. He's just not. And I love Ladd. Ladd is not going anywhere. Ladd is going to make a ton of plays for us this year, like he's done his entire career here at Georgia. But I have very high expectations for Dominic Lovett. And I, again, I know it's only one week. I don't want to read too much into that. But I do think it's a good sign that at least we're hearing some buzz right off the bat about Dominic Lovett coming into this season. All right, Kurt, let's stick for a minute here at the receiver position. We also found out this week, and I, I had heard from some sources on the program that, yes, like Rara Thomas is with the team, but I had not heard Kirby Smart say that officially, so I really wanted to hear him say that before I kind of ran with that. But Kirby Smart did address Rara Thomas's legal situation and his status with the team, and we found out that according to Kirby Smart, Rara Thomas is officially with the team and partaking in spring drills. So, Curtis, how important is it to have Thomas working with the team this spring? You know, I think it is important because I think he's one of these guys that I th- actually think he can be a more explosive version of Marcus Rosemey. Um, so, I, and I, so I think getting him in there because he still has to develop. You know, he has has some drops in his career. Um, he hasn't been the most. It's a very system. different system than the air raid system as well. Exactly. So I think that this will benefit him long term, actually, um, and help him become even more of a playmaker for us. Yeah, and like I'm not saying that Dominic Lovett's transition from Missouri to Georgia was a, a seamless transition where the verbiage and the system is the exact same, the scheme is the exact same. It's not. But what Missouri, what we do is, and what Missouri does, is far closer scheme-wise than what we do in what Mississippi State did under Mike Leach, right? I mean, it's just a very, very different thing in the air raid system. So I think there's more of a learning curve for Ra-Ra coming into our system than there's going to be for Dominic Lovett. So I'm with you there. I, I do think it's important for him from a developmental standpoint, just within our system and getting acclimated to what we do and our verbiage and and all those different things i do think it was important for him to be here and you know if he's going to make a legitimate run to be our top guy at the x position which is why you bring this guy in like you bring this guy in to more or less replace ad mitchell right Kurt? i mean that that's the idea right yeah i mean when we needed to, i mean because i believe love it did commit first and the oh thomas at first no oh, the, see the, even then i think the biggest thing was you knew something was up because we're not taking two guys unless something was up. What do you mean by that? Well, like the fact of if we didn't know or. If oh, we, if, there, if we didn't like there was a need. Yeah. Like if a, we didn't know AD Mitchell was leaving. And I think that was a lot okay. of, you know, okay. where a lot of people were surprised. It's like, well, we took two guys in the portal and we really didn't need two guys. We needed one guy. And yeah, so, I I, and I do think that raw raw is of more, you know, he's not the same type player as AD, but the fact is he's not, Love It is not close to AD, but Ra Ra Love is, is not an X. He's a slot. Yeah, guy. exactly. And Love It's a guy who can play on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Thomas is a guy that can definitely play on the outside. And he's, like, he, he of the two that we brought in, Love It and Thomas, he was the one that, in my opinion, was clearly brought in as a, a replacement of sorts for AD Mitchell to slot into that X position because that did hurt our depth there, at least in terms of like experienced options at, at the X. Jack Saint, Rosemary Jack Saint can play that position and he's done that. He, he filled in for, um, 
for AD for most of last season. And he made some nice plays for us. But again, as we, as we said many times with, with Marcus Rosemey, Jack saying as good of a player as he is, and as viable as a, of a piece as he is, especially in terms of the blocking game and buying into that and being a leader on the team, he hasn't had the consistent production as a receiver compared to a guy like Ra-Ra Thomas. Again, totally different system, but Ra-Ra has been more productive during his college career. I mean, he was he was Mississippi State. He wasn't a perfect player from last year. You mentioned some of the drops. You're absolutely right about that. But he was their top receiver last year in a system that likes to spread the ball around to a lot of different guys. I mean, that was always Mike Leach's definition of balance was not like a 50-50 split between run pass. It was we want to make sure we spread the ball out to as many options as possible. And in that system, Ra-Ra Thomas was their clear top target number one guy receiver. So getting him in this system – when you lose A.D. Mitchell, it certainly helps. And uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to have Rara, but again, I believe that he needed this time this spring in the system to really position himself to be that guy for us at X, like to pose a legitimate challenge to Marcus Rosemey Jackson. Because if, if Thomas was was out for the spring with those legal issues, fortunately, the uh, felony false imprisonment charge did get dropped. As soon as that was dropped, I felt very strongly that he would be with the team. With the felony hanging over his head, I wasn't sure. But when that was dropped, I was like, oh, no, it's, he's on the team. He's got to be, right? And it was just nice to hear Kirby actually say that. But if he wasn't here this spring, that gives Marcus Rosemey Jackson even more of a lead and an advantage going into fall camp. And I don't know if Thomas would have had enough time to catch up. Now that he's here in the spring, he certainly has a more realistic opportunity to take that X position and, or in the, at the very least to work himself into a rotation where he's getting significant snaps. So I do think it's important to be here for himself, for the team, because we need all, like we need guys that, that are proven playmakers at receiver. And that's why we went out and got Dominic Love and Rara Thomas. And it's nice to have both those guys playing and working with the team this spring. And guys, we've got plenty more still left to recap from week one of Georgia spring football practice. But before we move any further, we can't forget about our good friends at Alumni Hall. The new spring Nike gear is already on shelves. If you're going to be out in the sun with the weather heating up and getting nicer here in the state of Georgia, you got to have a hat. Especially if you're following the challenge like me, you got to have a hat to cover the head. If you know, you know. And Alumni Hall has this massive hat wall inside the store, guys. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And if you can't find a hat to fit your style, to fit your preferences, to fit your vibe there, then that hat just doesn't exist. So stop in today, guys, in-store, inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center or online at alumnihall.com. And hook yourself up, hook your family members up, hook your friends up, hook everybody up, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, Curtis, well, that was about it from week one of spring practice, at least the news that we were able to get and the information we were able to glean from week one of spring practice. Again, as we said at the outset of the show today, this was the acclimation period. That's what week one is. You're not in full pads. Our first practice in full pads was on Saturday. And when you're out there in helmets and shells, there's just not as much you can learn about the team. But that will not be a problem when we do this same episode, the same exercise next week, Curtis, because the team will be in full pads all week. We'll have our first fall, our first spring scrimmage on Saturday. So, Kurt, looking ahead to week two, what are you looking forward to learning more about this coming week? I think um, I have probably three things. And, you know, it's a lot of just what we talked about, you know, the offensive tackle battle, the battle at quarterback and then really I want to see what goes on at outside linebacker and maybe maybe any I actually know what I'm going to go with more of the corner opposite Kamari Lasseter but yeah very interesting and Curtis I I didn't I tried to find some information about that position 
through week one. I didn't really get a lot, and Kirby Smart didn't really dr- directly address that. Hopefully, he'll be asked some questions about that in his press conference this coming week. But uh, that's why we left it off this episode, since we just don't really have much information there. I don't want to just like throw some stuff out there. We kind of did that in a preview episode. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Curtis, like nothing's really changed. Dalen Everett and Nyland Green and probably everyone else. That's how I feel. Yeah, and we'll we'll see. You know, they, that, again, that's what spring practice is for: guys developing, making moves, impressing coaches. And if we hear anything, we'll certainly bring that to you guys. But as far as week one goes, didn't really hear much there. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited to hear more about that position and see if Dalen Everett is kind of locking that that spot down, which is my expectation. But you never know these things. What about the safety position, Curtis? Dan Jackson. We didn't talk much about Dan Jackson. I he's another guy that I was kind of surprised to hear that he was out. For for spring, I knew that he was out, obviously, all of last, or at least the second half of last season with a foot injury. I kind of was expecting him to be back for the spring, weren't you? Or did you, or did you expect him to miss the spring, like Kirby, like, like Kirby said? Well, it, I, it depends on the injury. See, I thought it was a Liz Frank injury. See, I never got, I mean, that's, I heard rumors to that effect. I never got confirmation that it was Liz uh, see, Frank. Maybe, if it is I Liz may, Frank, then he's, he's definitely been, never going to play in the spring. I don't think I ever got confirmation. I think I may have just been reading into it but i thought it was a liz frank injury which if that was the case it tracks if it's liz frank injury he would he would have zero chance to play in the spring i mean tate ratledge missed the entire 2021 season it took him about halfway into yeah i mean he he missed almost like a year and a half really honestly well i guess it wasn't a year and a half he missed the entire season and and he wasn't the same in spring practice and going to fall camp even like tate was dealing with issues in fall camp so I guess it was almost like a full calendar year before he was like, okay, I, I'm – and even to open the season, you could tell he he was still kind of working himself back into it, and then he finally got his feet under him. So I guess it was almost like a full calendar year before I felt like Tate Rattledge was back to his old self, right? Yeah, that's what it felt like. And I hope that's not the case for Dan Jackson because, it, like, again, I, I don't – I don't maybe it is Liz Frankers. I haven't heard any confirmation on that. I've heard rumors to that effect. I just – I don't want to run with that until I know for sure. I'm trying to find out more information on that. I don't know. But if it's Liz Frank – that complicates things. I, I I felt like Dan Jackson might be the odds-on favorite to replace Chris Smith with his experience in the system and how much the coaches trust him. I think Dan's a really underrated athlete as well. I mean, he's got starting experience, which no one else on the team does outside of Malachi Starks at that position. So I felt he was probably going to be that guy. I, I thought I was hoping that his foot injury would be healed, but if it's one of those things that lingers on, and if it is a Liz Frank, Kurt, he might not be ready to go like fully by the time the season kicks off. So if Dan Jackson is not really an option right now. It might not be an option of fall camp. We'll see. I don't want to speculate too much there, but like, but if you can't speculate on a podcast, then what the hell is a podcast for? Let's go ahead and dive into it. Like if it's not Dan Jackson, how do you handicap that position? Probably would go with Daniel David. David Daniel. Yeah. Or Daniel. Yeah. It's a weird name. Right? I, I messed up too. David. Yeah. David Daniel. And I can't like the, the hyphen name Sisavon. Is that what we're going with? David Daniel. I Sisavon believe now? that's what it is. Yeah. I've never heard anyone actually say the last name Sisavon. So until I hear, that's that's what I'm going with. I, you know, with him coming in, I mean, because he filled in for Dan once Dan went out. You know, Dan was he was unseated by Malachi Starks after Week One. We all know why. Malachi Starks is just a freak athlete, and he's just better than Dan. That's just that's just the reality, right? But Dan was still a factor. He's still a uh, part of the team, and he was playing in our third down package as our as our money guy coming in when we bring that extra DB in on third downs. And when he went down, it was David Daniel who kind of filled in that role. And I thought he did some really good things for us. Of course, he's a good athlete. He's got kind of he's one of these weird guys. Kind of a slight frame, but he will absolutely lay you out. He's a big hitter despite the slight frame. I think experience certainly helped him last year. Let me throw a name at you, Curtis. 
Tyke Smith. I just did a, I did a piece on dogs daily about Tyke Smith this past week, kind of a profile of him. And this is a guy that came in with designs to be our, our, our starter at star, right. Coming off a third team, all American year as named by the AP in 2020, when he transferred from West Virginia, gets hurt in fall camp, comes back and then tears his ACL. Then you have the emergence of Javon Bullard at star and Javon Bullard is not going anywhere. Like he is going to be our starter at star zero doubts about that. So Tyke Smith doesn't really have an obvious path to playing time there, but he's the guy that was cross-training some at star and safety. Does Tyke Smith have a chance to win that job at safety? You know, he, I think he does. And the reason I say that is he has a very similar. I mean, Chris, it's a, it's a former third team all American. That and the fact of like, he is a very similar player of what we had in Christopher Smith. What do you mean by that? Um, I mean, you look at frame wise, I think it's the biggest thing. Um, because you don't have to be some tall guy like Daniel da- or David Daniel. Um, you know, you, just have to be, you have to be a guy that's willing to to fill the lanes, to fill the exactly. run lanes and lay somebody and out. When he came in, I actually thought he did a good job of when he would come in and or when he came when he got reps, he was able he was still strong in the run game. I you know, he he did get oh he what he started the Missouri game, right? That was the game that Bullard was suspended for. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. And I thought he did a really good job in that game. And look, Javon Bullard is is a monster in the run game. Like the guy will just come in there and fill the run lanes between between the tackles like he's 230 pounds and he's not. He's like 195 pounds, maybe. And he is an elite run defender from that star position. That's really what gives him the edge there at that at that spot. But I do think that you're right. I think Ty Key showed me the ability to do that as well when he got his opportunity. It's just Javon's just a little bit better, man. Javon's just a little bit better. That's just the reality at that position. Especially but I, I absolutely think his like skills this. can translate to safety. I really, really do. I really I do. I think they can. I mean, there's not much of a difference realistically. I know there is. But the fact is you usually cross-train between safety and star if you're going to cross-train that yeah. player. And he's played, I mean, again, I know I keep saying it, third team All-American playing like the equivalent of, of the star position at West Virginia, where you are required to do more man-on-man coverage. And honestly, that's the toughest spot to actually cover somebody because almost every time you're covering somebody, they're offline scrimmage, you can't really press them, you can't get hands on them. And working in the slot, those receivers are usually smaller, shiftier, quicker, and they got two-way goes when all those little option routes. So you have to be a really good cover guy in the, in the slot DB position with star or whatever you want to call it. I think they, may, they might call it the spear position at West Virginia. might have been what they actually called it over there. But he's got some uh, a good bit of experience actually covering some really athletic dudes at that position. So I think he's got better cover skills than your average safety would. be. Would Curtis, is that is that a stretch to say? You don't actually think that is fair. Yeah, I, I really I, – I believe that. I think he's had more experience doing that and will be able – he's more proficient – in coverage, and I think what you would typically expect of your average safety. I mean, Chris Smith was good in coverage, but Chris Smith wasn't an elite guy. I mean, Chris, honestly, who's the last elite cover guy we've had at safety? Hmm. Have we had one? J.R. Reed, maybe? Maybe. I mean, maybe he's the closest to that, but my point is, Curtis, you typically don't have elite cover guys at safety because if they were elite cover guys, they'd be playing corner, right? That's true. Like you, sure. you have to be able to cover. Yes, don't get me maybe, wrong. Maybe the best, maybe the best cover safety we've had has been Keely Ringo. <laughs> I see what you did there. That's a good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see what you did there. I mean, you think Keely might play safety at I the next level? He wants to have a long career, probably. 
I don't know, man. He he certainly could be a candidate to make that move. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. He's he's got the speed though. Just the awareness, man. Just the awareness. Hopefully he can improve on that. I'm rooting for Keith. He's a good dude. Definitely rooting for him. Um, yeah, so safety position is an interesting one for me. Um, so we had a, a true freshman early enrollee at that position make a move last spring, Curtis, at least position himself to ultimately be able to overtake Dan Jackson after week one with Malachi Starks. We have another true freshman early enrollee at the safety position, Curtis, who also happens to be a physical freak in Janelle Aguero. Do you give him much of a chance to potentially factor into that battle? You know, I could. It would not shock me. Actually, I've heard some things about just how his his skill set, and that it is going to be hard to hold him off. He's been impressive. I I can't say anything about fall camp or about spring practice. I have not heard anything specifically with him in spring practice. I know from sources that he has had an ex- a very impressive first couple of months on campus with the winter workouts. We'll see how things go in, in spring practice. But with that kind of talent, can you can you discount him, Curtis? No, not at all. I mean, we saw with Malachi start, so it's it's hard to sit there and say it's impossible. Yeah. I totally agree. So I'm going to be watching the safety position very, very closely. Now that Dan Jackson's out for the spring officially, uh, you mentioned the Jack linebacker position, Curtis. We, we know that Chaz Chambliss, it's it's crazy to think this is the case, Curtis, because this is a guy that we were all like, uh, like, man, we were just freaking out over last year when, when Nolan Smith went out. Maybe I should, I don't, I don't want to speak for you. I was freaking out and I did it publicly on this show when Nolan Smith went out. Cause it's like, guys, like, we don't have answers. Like we have no depth there. Like Robert Beal. Yeah. Like Robert Beal, but outside of him, like we don't have answers to that position. And I got to give Chaz Chamberlain a lot of credit. You know, I mean, I was hard on the guy when he first started to take over for Nolan, but he really improved as the season went on. But Curtis, like this is a guy that has about, I don't know what, eight games of experience under his belt. And he's the most experienced option we have at that position. Like, how do you feel about Jack going into this season right now? Not very warm and fuzzy. No. How could you? I I, I don't know, Maggie. It, it is a major concern for me. And it, it was last year, but I was like, okay, at least we have Nolan. Hey, we've got Robert Beal. Robert Beal led the team in sacks back in 2021. Like, he might not be Nolan Smith. Might, might not be that level of athlete. Although he did impress me with what it, the numbers he put up in the NFL Combine. But at least, you know, he's got some experience. He's a reliable guy that we can count on, been in the system, all those kind of things. But now like, we hardly even have that kind of guy. Maybe you can say Chaz is that kind of guy. But again, Curtis, I mean, this is a guy that missed half of last year with, with, with a soft tissue injury. And he, I mean, yeah, he filled in after the Florida game for, for Nolan. But like he's the most experienced option we have. That is a concern for me. And again, when you have that, that situation at that position – and two of your top potential options to fill in there, Marvin Jones Jr. and Jalen Walker, are both out for the spring. And these are two guys who need development at that position. They're going to miss those reps. That is a concern. So, Kurt, in their absence, we got Chaz Chambliss. Is there anyone there at that position that you're looking at saying, okay, I think this is a guy that can really take advantage of this opportunity this spring? So, looking at the young guys, I would, I'm probably going to have to go with Damon Wilson. Yeah, Damon Wilson, I think that's a great call, Curtis. One of the the crown jewels of this 2023 recruiting class, a five-star prospect. He is on campus as an early enrollee at the edge position, along with Gabe Harris and Mpimba, both IMG teammates this past season. All three of those guys are going to get far more reps than they otherwise would have if we would have had Jalen Walker and Marvin Jones Jr. healthy and participating in drills this spring. They're going to get more reps. And here's another guy, Curtis, I... I mentioned him when we did the preview episode for spring practice. I'm going to mention him again. Darius Smith. Do not count out Darius Smith. That's actually a very good reminder. Yeah. Extraordinarily raw, but physical tool wise, the dude's a freak, man. The dude can jump. He's, he's, he's 
on springs, man. The dude can jump out of the freaking building. He's got the crazy length, so which will allow him to get his hands on offensive linemen before they can get their hands on him. Most of those offensive linemen he'll be going against, which is key in winning those battles off the edge. He's got to continue to fill out the frame a little bit. He was a little bit light last year. He dealt with some injuries last year, just like Marvin Jones Jr. did. But him being healthy this spring, I in the lack of other options there, I mean, we just do not have depth that position. He's going to get a ton of reps. And I think he's going to be a guy that could really take advantage of those reps and earn some playing time for himself. Here's another guy, Curtis, who was out last year with injury for most of the year as well. CJ Madden. Remember that name? I do, yeah. CJ wow. Madden. Didn't hear anything about him last year because he missed most of last year with an injury and didn't get really any playing time. He's back healthy for the spring. He's another name. Again, I, I didn't hear anything about him or Darius Smith through week one. And like, you're not really going to that position because it's more of a physical position. We're not really in pads. I think the, our first day in pads was Saturday. You know, the, we didn't hear much about them week one, but I think both Madden and Darius Smith have a prime opportunity ahead of them the next month. And if they want to really, really make a move for playing time this season at a position where there's a ton of opportunity for them to do that, now is the time because they're going to get more reps than they ever have in their entire careers. And this is the time to make that move, to develop, improve, get better, impress coaches, and, and position yourself well heading into fall camp. So a couple of names to watch there. And I'll be definitely watching that very closely, Curtis. So probably, I, I, that's probably the position I am most, not probably, it 100% is the position I am most concerned about going into the 2023 season. And we need answers there. So let me watch that very, very close. And of course, the quarterback battle, we've watched that on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. And we'll have that covered for you guys the rest of the spring. But that does it for us today here, guys, on the Glory UJ podcast. We got to get out of here, but we'll have you guys covered all spring long. If you're looking for some spring football practice from a podcasting standpoint, we got you guys covered. Come on back. You can come back week after week. We'll bring you guys all the latest updates. We'll tell you what we're hearing around camp, any buzz that we're hearing, and we'll give you our thoughts and all that. So appreciate you guys being here. Keep on coming back the rest of the spring. We've got a ton of great stuff for you guys coming up. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.